Welcome to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast. The show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina, owner of Quotable Media Co., a PR and media company. After nearly 10 years of building a PR agency, I've learned a lot about business and entrepreneurship, but the most valuable things have always come through conversation with other women who have been in it too, and I want to share all of that with you. So sit back, fill your coffee cup up, and listen in. Thank you so much for coming on today, Palak. I have um, on here Palak Shah, the founder and CEO of Open Spaces, and that's Open Spaces Capital and Open Spaces Women, right? Yes. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. You, Yeah, me too. I'm really excited to talk to you today. And I want to just give you a second first and foremost to give us like the super quick overview of Mm -hmm. what Open Spaces is all about. And and as I kind of just mentioned super quickly, the kind of two different arms of your company and what the difference is. And maybe we can start there. And then, um, yeah, and then maybe just walk us through like kind of how you got started. Like what what are they and how you started them? All right, sounds good. So Open Spaces Capital is the investing arm of our business. We own and operate a 10 million a dollar portfolio uh, of residential and commercial rentals. And then Open Spaces Women is the education arm of our business where we help others like me who want to get out of the corporate grind uh, through the power of real estate investing and you know grow themselves, not just as an investor, but also there's a lot of personal growth uh, involved in becoming an investor and becoming a business owner. Oh, I love that. Yeah, no, I'm, I was so excited to talk to you today. Cause, um, and we, we didn't even mention this yet, but I, you know, you did an interview for our magazine, quotable magazine, which hasn't, well, by the time this goes live, it will probably have come out. It hasn't come out yet. So you haven't seen it. But, um, when I saw that interview, um, just the draft behind the scenes, I was like, this seems awesome. I love the sound of what you've done. I'm personally very interested in real estate and like how to have that working for you. Um, and I feel like I'm just getting started and kind of dabbling. I mean, it's been a while, but like, I don't have that many, <laughs> I don't have a whole portfolio. <laughs> so I feel like I'm just getting started compared to you. But yeah, I was Love like, that. I want to talk to her more. So I'm really excited to get to dive more into this today. I think that like, I don't know, I just think there's so much that people can learn. Um, I think that real estate is one of those things that can feel kind of like, especially like investing can feel a little bit kind of like daunting, I guess, for like, kind of how do I get started sort of thing. Um, And so I hope we can shine some light on that for people. So um, yeah. So tell us, tell me how you kind of like first got started, because I know you have sort of an interesting story there too, or just, I mean, I know it wasn't like what you were always doing. So I feel like there's always like that story of like, how you got into this. Yeah, um, I was a mechanical engineer for 17 years. Um, I'm an immigrant. I came from India 20 some years ago uh, for my master's degree in engineering. Then I got a job and then I worked in corporate for 17 years and I was climbing the corporate ladder. And that is basically what I thought I was always going to do. I hadn't even thought of real estate investing. Um, And my job was to train CEOs of different companies all over the world on how to increase the bottom line of their factories. I was a subject matter expert and it was, it was really amazing because that's what I had worked towards and it felt good. And I was traveling a lot and I was well-respected. I worked with smart people, except (laughs) my husband and I decided to have kids in our late thirties. And then everything changed for me. I had such a major shift in how I viewed the world uh, because, you know, I thought I had done everything that I was supposed to do, right? Like I went to school. I was a very, very diligent student. I got a job. I worked really hard. I got financially stable and then brought kids into this world. And then I'm like, oh, I have no time for them. And, you know, what What we don't realize is that the higher up we climb in the corporate ladder, the less time we have for the family. And it came to a point where I felt like I was in a very unfair position where as a woman, I had to choose between enjoying motherhood and enjoying career growth. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I felt like, you know, that as as moms, you get really penalized as as career women because you really are put in a position where you have to choose. And so um, my husband and I, I mean, we went through, I went through months of turmoil where I didn't know what to do because I had worked so hard on this career. So we started looking into different business ideas of what I could do. And we tried our hand at different things. And Hmm. what we figured out at the end of the day was that real estate investing um, really worked. We, we always loved real estate. So it, it really felt like the right option. And so what I did was in the beginning, before I even quit my job, um, I chose to start in an easy-ish way where we went out and just bought a few rent-ready rentals. So you just put 25% down in a, in a neighborhood you're familiar with, right? And then I bought a rental and then I started self-managing and understanding how it worked. Like, you know, was it something I even wanted to do? Mm-hmm. And so with time, um, I was I think I was managing two or three rentals And then I decided, all right, it was time to become a single income family and quit my job because it was, there was some offset there, right? With the, with the cash flow coming in, there was a little bit of an offset. And so I quit my job and started, um, trying to figure out what strategy I was going to pursue to do this full time. And the issue became that, you know, you need to keep saving for these rentals to put the down payment. And now that we didn't even have two incomes, we had to figure out a way to create the down payments. So we found this strategy where I was able to buy distressed properties, renovate them, and then rent them out. And then once you are done with all that and you refinance the property, you can pull all the money out that you originally put into it. And the equity that you create becomes the down payment. So that's called value add investing. And so started building the portfolio that way. That was started about five, six years ago. And then two years ago, my husband was also able to quit his job full-time. He was in strategy and finance and he's joined the business full-time as well. Wow. So that's kind of like what led me (laughs) to today. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, so you had three rental properties that you were managing before you quit. Is that true? Is that what you said? So you, you were just kind of running those on the side and then that started bringing in like enough cash flow that it was like, okay, I can at least quit now and then figure, figure out the rest at that yeah, point. It was just, it was just enough to have a proof of concept that, okay, this is something I want to grow. And this is something that I can use to replicate my income and grow further. So that's all it did really. Wow. And so when you say, so, so tell me uh, like, what's the, the open spaces women where that's kind of where you're teaching other people how to do this kind of same process of buying rentals and then like doing what you just said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, what I found, you know, as, as I started, as I became a full-time investor and as I started connecting with people, I found that we were scaling our portfolio really fast. And what we had done was something different than what everybody else was doing. And I hadn't realized that we were doing something different (laughs) until then. So as I started connecting with more and more people, I found that there were so many people who had been in this industry for years and they still hadn't figured out how to scale their portfolio. Hmm. And especially I think as women, we are conditioned to be risk averse just because of the jobs that we get and the kind of environment that, you know, we grew up in, I felt like there were mindset shifts that I had to make. And I was helping other women make those mindset shifts so they could make bolder, bigger moves. Um, I decided to make it official and, you know, really turn it into something that could help people, especially women and minorities make these major moves that would allow, allow them to build an empire as opposed to just dabble in real estate. So that's kind of how it was born. (laughs) I love that. So wait, tell me like, what was the difference? The main difference that you said that you, of how you were doing it compared to like what most people would have said you should do, I guess, if you had looked into that or something. Yeah. So what I found was that a lot of people who've been in this industry in real estate investing for a while, what they do is they dabble into different 
ways of investing in real estate. They mm-hmm. do a little bit of, you know, they become realtors and they start doing that on the side. They would wholesale properties. They would flip properties. They would have a rental here and there. They would, <laughs> And they weren't focused on one strategy and really doubling down on that one strategy and learning it well and then scaling it further. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one thing. And the second thing what I found was that when I first started, I took a lot of um, business coaching and my husband and I both had backgrounds in systems and processes. And we put all that into real estate investing and we started running it like a business as opposed to mom and pop investors. And that allowed us to scale it so fast. And I hadn't realized that other people weren't doing it that way until I started talking to everyone. And So we developed our own framework and system so that others could just replicate the existing model that we had created. Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh. I have so many questions because I'm so interested. Wait, (laughs) it's really fun, right? (laughs) Yes. No, I love it. I mean, and I'll tell you a little bit about like my experience too, but I want to know. So first of all, I love the idea of like buying something that's kind of run down and, and basically rehabbing it, I think is what you, what, what you said. So it's different than flipping when you're going to like fix it up and then sell it. Mm-hmm. And I guess my first question is like, why did you decide not to sell? Like, I mean, obviously I understand the concept of bringing in a rental income, but I mm-hmm. also know a lot of people are like, well, you, if you just flip it and then you get, you know, some quick cash that then you can maybe use for like another place or something like that. But is there, is that like, so tell me why you think it's best to keep them as rentals, I guess, as opposed oh, to like flipping and just is... like making a profit. What a great question. <laughs> this, I can go on and on, but I'll try to uh, make it, make my answer as short as possible. <laughs> it's, it's such a great question. So um, number one is when we were researching this subject, what I found was that a lot of veteran real estate investors who's been in this business for 30, 40 years, um, they all had one thing that was common that their advice was that you cannot become wealthy by peddling real estate. You cannot become wealthy by being involved in real estate from a transactional perspective, because what you're doing then is you're just creating an income for yourself, right? So you're going to make money when you flip a property and you're going to continue making that money as long as you're flipping properties. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it comes to long-term buy and hold, that is how wealth is truly created by owning assets over a long period of time. And there are four advantages to having long-term rentals. Number one is cash flow, of course, right? You make cash flow every month. That's the easy one. The second one is you get debt pay down. So you leverage your money and you have a mortgage on the property and your debt is being being paid down because of the rent on a monthly basis. The third one is you. there are tremendous tax benefits to owning rentals because you can take advantage of, of depreciating your assets and they offset your income. So there are a lot of tax benefits. And then the fourth one is appreciation, right? Because we know that our cash is basically, as we're having this conversation, the money in our bank accounts has lost value already. Like while you and I are talking, our money is losing value sitting in our bank accounts. But if you invest it in real estate, you can take advantage of appreciation. And so it's an amazing hedge against inflation as well. So these are the four advantages that you would not be able to take advantage of if you were flipping a property or if you were involved in real estate from a transactional perspective, if if you were not holding properties long-term. Okay. Yeah. That makes, uh, that all makes a lot of sense. So (laughs) I I do appreciate that because I think we get, like, I've always said, I want to flip a property. It sounds like I just love the whole process of it. You know, I love those like reality shows on TV. I love like renovating a place and just kind of always, and I just kind of always thought then I would sell it and make some money. Um, and it's nice to, go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say, I also love having rentals. And I love the idea of making money every month from it. And so I feel like if you can do that, that seems like it totally does make sense. And it's, you know, owning rentals the and the way we renovate them, it's all by systems and processes. There is not a lot of 
um, creativity involved, like, you know, the reality shows that we see on mm-hmm. HGTV. I think that would be fl- fun to flip a property, but I think this is so much more profitable. I feel like I'm, I use my creativity instead of the design. I use it in how am I going to make more money? Yeah, <laughs> that's, no, that's, that where, that's where the creativity comes through, but it it is, it is, there is some sense of fulfillment and joy in removing blight from neighborhoods too, where, you know, you go into a neighborhood or a house that is distressed and you bring it back to its full potential and make it like a safe and comfortable place for someone to live in. There's definitely some joy and fulfillment in that as well. Yeah. I love the idea of that too. Where, what area were, did you start in and are like, were all the properties that you bought at, at least at first, like right in your area? So you could like Because I know you said you were managing them yourself. In the beginning, we bought properties in very close to our neighborhood because that's all I knew. And Mm -hmm. then when we did a deep dive into this new strategy, I figured out that it actually doesn't work in that area. So we had to go Mm -hmm. and explore a little bit more. Um, So we majority of our portfolio is in Philadelphia, which is where we live. We live 45 minutes outside of Philadelphia. And then we have some assets in Florida and um, I used to have some property in Illinois as well. Okay. But yeah, started majority of it is in Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it would be easier in a lot of ways to buy something near where you are. But I also know a lot of people like who live in or very near like major cities. It's like that can feel like such a big hurdle because there it can be so expensive even something that's like totally run down and needs a lot of work so I feel like getting that first place can feel really hard like do you have any do you ever work with women who maybe like are like oh I really want to do this but I don't even know if I have enough like savings to buy my first place or like you know anything near me is already a million dollars. And so how do I kind of get started if I don't have like that much to put down or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So about 30 to 40% of the people we work with either, uh, they either live in New York or California or, Mm -hmm. or an expensive market where it would be impossible to build like a really big portfolio in a very short time. Um, unless you're, a trust fund baby and you have, you know, you just come from money, which majority of us don't. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we um, did was we work with number one out of state investors. So out of state investing becomes a really good option for people who live in an expensive area and out of state investing can feel daunting when you're new, but there are so many different systems and processes you can put in place and have boots on the ground that can be your eyes and ears unbiased people who can give you good feedback on, you know, where and how you, you're investing. Mm-hmm. And then second, we leverage the money upfront. So we work with short-term lenders. And so they allow you to bring about $20,000, $25,000 to the table. And then they fund the rest of the acquisition and construction in the project. And then once the property is stabilized, meaning once it's renovated and rented out, um, you can take it to a commercial lender and they would basically refinance the property where they are going to pay the, the the short-term lender the funds that they brought to the table. They're going to give you back the seed money that you brought to the table. Mm-hmm. And then now you have a nice stable mortgage on this property and you can take your seed money and do your next deal. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Is there like a, um, I mean, I'm sure you have all different like formulas and systems for this, but is there kind of like a general rule of like, tell me if this is too complicated of a question, but like, <laughs> like, you know, if somebody comes to you and they say like, oh, I found like this property in, in my area, like, how do you know if it will be profitable kind of once you've kind of got the more, like once it's fixed up and you've got a long-term, like the regular mortgage on it, like, are you ever, can you kind of look at it and be like, okay, if it's cost that much and you have this much to put down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So one, one mistake that I made when I first got started is I was trying to fit a neighborhood into the formula. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, the mistake I was making, and this is, you know, when I first got started five, five, six years ago, I was constantly thinking that if I could just find like a really, really good deal, it's going to work. Right. And then I wasted almost a whole year trying to figure that out. And then when I started looking at other neighborhoods, I realized that 
it wasn't about the deal. It was, it was about the neighborhood. Mm. And so what we do is we tell people, instead of trying to make a deal fit the formula, let's look at neighborhoods where this formula actually works. And then you go and find a deal in that neighborhood. Does that make sense? Yeah. So because you have like a formula of like what you need to put into it and what you'll get out of it, basically. Yes, and if exactly. where those prices are like exist kind of, then that can make sense. Yeah. And it's a good neighborhood for something like this to work would be a neighborhood where, the, where there is a good inventory of distressed properties and there is a good inventory of um, renovated properties. Mm-hmm. And we call it the cash out cash flow tango. So what you want to do is you want to play with your cash out. Like, can you get all your cash out at the end of the day or majority of your cash out? And can you still cash flow when you're done with it? And then we call it the tangle because these are two levers that you can pull and I can talk all day about this, but, but that's basically uh, what it is, is the the formula is to figure out whether uh, once you renovate the property and then you refinance it, you pull all your cash out, is it still going to cash flow? And so if you look at these urban uh, neighborhoods that are expensive, they are probably really, really great neighborhoods to flip properties. And Mm. the cash out component would work really well because that's the difference that the flippers make. That's their profit. But then if you look at neighborhoods that are completely run down, the cash flow is really amazing in those neighborhoods. And what you want to be is somewhere in the middle. Okay. And so, and I assume you can, that's kind of what you teach, like for the people who are in your, who come to the open spaces, women, like, program or whatever um yes, is like exactly how to understand the formula okay yeah understand the formula analyze the neighborhoods analyze the deals figure figure out you know which which deal kind of works and fits really well in this formula and then once you do one that's your property avatar and then you can repeat it again and again mm-hmm. and is there like a certain um number where you say like this should be your minimum cash flow or like it doesn't necessarily make sense or it's not going to be like worth it to you or is like any positive cash flow kind of considered like worth doing in in your opinion I think for a single family home if you were just looking at a three bed one bath single family home um I want to see after you remove you know from your rent after you remove principal interest taxes and insurance um it's called PDPITI, right? Principal interest tracks and insurance after you remove all of that. And then you remove about, I would say remove about 20% for capital and operating expenses. Um, once you remove all that, I I don't want to see negative cash flow at that point, right? Because right? then you know that this is going to be a profitable rental and a good cash flow amount is about 150 to 500 a month. That's a really nice number um, if you can get that. And then you stack your assets like pancakes. I mean, we joke about it. We say like, oh, stack your assets like pancakes. But basically you create one of these assets and then you continue creating them. And this cash flow just gets added on top of, you know, each other. And now you've, you can build it up with, with time. Thank you so much for tuning into the Quotable Podcast. I'm so excited to be kicking off this new year with a fresh start. If you struggled with burnout in 2022 like I did, then you'll want to listen closely to what I'm about to say. I want to take a minute to tell you about Dr. Elizabeth Levitin, the founder of Joyful Living by Elizabeth. Elizabeth is an experienced practitioner, a board-certified licensed pharmacist, multi-certified coach, and healer with training in various modalities to support her clients. With nearly two decades of experience helping thousands of people achieve their health, wellness, and personal goals, Elizabeth pivoted toward a more holistic healing approach via coaching. Now she's working with clients by helping them to move out of feeling stuck, stressed, and disconnected from themselves while supporting them to make the changes they want. If you're ready for a breakthrough year in 2023, you can sign up for the ultimate deep dive, which is her private and personalized one-on-one coaching program, which now includes an optional tropical vacation with Elizabeth as you create deep healing changes. You heard that right. While on vacay. Elizabeth also offers the Deep Dive Intensive, her 90-minute breakthrough coaching session that will leave your mind blown, guaranteed. 
To get started, you can visit elizabethlevitin.com and book your free playdate consultation call. I'll leave the link in the show notes and really kick 2023 into gear. That's Elizabeth, E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H-L-E-V-I-T-I-N.com. We'll put that link in the show notes. Check it out and book your call now. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was going to say like 150 doesn't sound like much, but it's kind of also all the added benefits you mentioned too, like all the tax stuff and all of those other benefits that are not necessarily the cash flow that also make it a great investment. And obviously like, yeah, the investment over time that if you're keeping it. um, Absolutely. Yes. Cool. No, that's good to know. Cause I would have been like, I feel like I would have to make like thousands of dollars on it a month for it to be like, feel like it makes sense or is worth it or something like that. Um, yeah. And, and remember that this cash flow doesn't get taxed the same way as our W2 income does, right? Mm-hmm. Cause this cash flow, if you were to compare it to um, your W2 income, the way I would compare it is um, to your take-home salary because your depreciation on your assets, it it balances out the cash flow for the most part. And so you don't pay any taxes on them. Okay. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Okay. So is this something that a lot of the people like who you work with, do they have other like full-time jobs when they first start doing this or are they mostly jumping into this as like a full-time thing with you or like how could someone listening to this show who is probably already a business owner, but with what comes with that is obviously like, I feel like we all have a desire to make more money, diversify our income streams and look ahead to the future and all of those things. And also sometimes a lot of freedom and flexibility. So like, you know, maybe we can do something extra, um, but also not a ton of time. Like, would you say, like, do you think like, what, how could we get started? Like, what could I do to, is it something realistic to kind of do like in addition to what we're already doing? Yeah, absolutely. What a, what a great question. So, um, majority of the people we work with, they already have, uh, W2 jobs. We work with doctors, lawyers, engineers who really, either want to make work optional and create supplemental income, or eventually they want to just retire early, mm-hmm. right? So it is definitely doable on the side when you first get started. I would say that if you can commit about three to five hours per week, mm-hmm. maybe, I think that's a good amount to spend on this. And then, you know, with time, you can always scale faster as you grow. So in the beginning, I would give it about, you know, say three to five hours a week and then get to a point where you have a few assets and you can um, kind of offset part of your income and then go full throttle and, <laughs> and and then and then add some more time to it. So the way we manage our portfolio right now, so we have, we're approaching a hundred doors and mm-hmm. we do it in about maybe 30 minutes a day to an hour a day. That's all it takes wow. to manage the entire portfolio. So it is definitely doable in a very short amount of time. Um, you just have to really approach it like a business. And we, I'm <laughs> I'm very anti-DIY. So I think that really helps with saving time. Do you hire people to help with like all the things, like anything that somebody yeah. else can do for you? I Yeah, I believe in leveraging money, leverage your time, leverage your team, leverage everybody's expertise. And that's how you can grow fast without spending a lot of time on this. Yeah, I love that. So what kind of like when you say you spend maybe 30 minutes a day, like, is that just different every day? Or like, are there certain things that you're looking into or like checking or doing on a daily basis that kind of make up that 30 minutes? Yeah. So so when I first got started, I had to learn all this the hard way, right? I was doing everything like I would. I would be at the job site all day and then I would be negotiating over like little things with everyone. And then, you know, at night, then I would, after my kids would go to bed, I'm doing bookkeeping, I'm doing everything. Mm -hmm. And then now that I've really put all these things into place, majority of the time that we spend on, I always tell people that there are are two things that as a CEO of a real estate investing business, two things that you shouldn't outsource. And that's where we focus majority of our time. Number one is deal analysis. You want to make sure that you're looking at the numbers yourself because that's Mm. your money that you're investing. You want to make sure that 
you know, you're the one doing analysis on your deals and making sure it's the right deal. And second one is finance. And if I can attribute one thing to scaling really, really fast, it's an understanding of finance. So those are the two things I spend majority of my time on. We, I never, we buy property site unseen. I never go to my properties. Mm-hmm. Um, we've bought properties, you know, we were in Spain, um, in summer, um, this year we spent about a month in Spain and, uh, we bought, uh, we bought properties while we were there. I think when when we did that um, um, the interview for you guys, the article, I was actually in India at the time. Wow. So, so yeah. you have like a realtor who you trust who will like just, or do you just do it based totally on like specs? Do you not even go to look at the property because you know you're going to, rehab it anyways and then and then who who does the rehab like do you have somebody that you just know can rehab it the way you want and you don't even like deal with that stuff at all either yeah so no these are great questions so when it comes to um the realtor uh, we have a realtor that we trust but more than that I think it's important to train whoever you're working with your boots on the ground team on what you need and how to provide that information to you so you could make your decisions, right? So we've trained a realtor in, hey, I want this type of a video. I want you to take a picture of these things and send it all to me. Mm -hmm. And this is how I would like that information. And then really train them in your process. And, you know, these days there are a lot of realtors who are great at working with out-of-state investors because that's a thing now, right? And with technology, anything's possible. So you you really have to build your processes and train somebody so that they can give you the information you need to make the right decisions. And then when it comes to the contractor, um, so what was the question about the contractor? What did you, what did well, you say? Well, just how you do a rehab without ever going to the property, I guess. Like, how do you know what needs to be mm-hmm. fixed and like what it should look like and how it should be done? So at, you know, at, at our level, we retain a contractor full time and we have a team of eight people on his crew that that manage, you know, they, they do all the construction. Mm. And so in the beginning, you know, for anybody getting started, I would treat your first project as your learning project. And what you do is you go and you find and, you know, make a template of all the finishes that you're going to use, make a template of every single uh, piece that you're going to renovate, right? And then now you have specs. And then when you work with that contractor next time, there's a, there's very little guesswork involved because you know what worked the first time. Yeah. And then you repeat that process again and again. So in our case now, because we retain a contractor full time, whenever a property hits the market that we're interested in, um, we can immediately let the realtor know, let the contractor know within a few hours, they've gone and checked it out. The contractor has figured out how much it's going to cost to do the renovations that we usually do. And we don't have to go through a detailed uh, back and forth. Wow. anymore. But in the beginning, I would say like, take some time and build your system and build this business for yourself. That way your team yeah. then knows how to do it next time. And is that also things that you teach people in the <laughs> open spaces through your yeah. yeah, yes, yes, yes. That That okay. is exactly what, and that's what takes up all the, you know, time for people. Like when, yeah. when I first got started, um, and even now, like my peers, people who got started with me, they would start their day at the job site. They go to Home Depot, they pick up materials, then they pick up their subs, then they set them up at the job site. And I wanted to have breakfast with my kids. Like I, yeah. you know, I, I quit my job so I could have time with my kids. So, um, so I had to find a way to kind of do all this without having to be physically present there and take, you know, things that take up a lot of time. And so that that's kind of how you. Um, when you think about your lifestyle and how you want this business to fit your lifestyle and not vice versa, mm-hmm. necessity is the mother of invention, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that, that you figured it out. Cause I do, I think it's like the kind of thing that people think is going to be very times or very hands-on, I guess. And like, I, I don't know, I feel like people associate, especially like home rehabs with like a lot of headaches and having to deal with people a lot and like run back and forth from like the site and like materials and all of that stuff. So I love that you were like, you know what, that's just not going to work for me. That's not the kind of day I want to <laughs> have. So let me figure out a way to make it work without that. Yeah. And if you think about it, right, there's CEOs, they're running 
companies that have 100K in revenue, and there are CEOs that are running companies that have a billion dollar in revenue, right? Mm -hmm. And they all have the same 24 hours in a day. Mm -hmm. And there's a way that somebody who runs a small business does it versus somebody who runs a large business does it. And it's all by strategically outsourcing and building systems and processes. That's what it's all about. Building a good team that can follow processes. Yeah, that's so great. And creating, like, I think, as you've said, is like creating the processes that work for you. I mean, the processes that work for the business and what you want, you know, what your goals are for where you want it to go, but also what work for you. Right. So like the beginning is kind of, or like your most important part, a lot of the time is like figuring out what those processes are for like you as the CEO, like what creating those processes and like what works for you and the way you want the business to be. And that's such a, that's such an important point that you bring up because I think that a lot of times when you spend time creating processes in the beginning, it's a really big time commitment. It's, it's just Mm -hmm. an investment, just like real estate investment, you're investing your money, that's investing your time, but you know that that process is going to be your asset and that asset is going to pay you back over time again and again, once you create it once. So that's, that's kind of, I, I love how you uh, put it. I, I, lo- I think that's I something think. that a lot of us struggle with as business owners oh, absolutely. is like, I know I, you know, I know if I build out this process better, it will save so much time overall or result in, you know, bringing in so much more profit overall, or just make the team run smoothly, but it can feel like, oh, but I don't have time to like sit down and like work on that right now or like create it the right way. So, but yeah, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. So <laughs> resume. Yeah. that time to figure that out like it's so worth it yeah exactly it is so worth it but it's so hard to do that as well so I understand what you mean it's a work in progress right (laughs) yeah yeah and also yeah worth revisiting every once in a while too even if you think you have a great process and it's working well for years like just being cognizant of the fact that things might change over time or there might be like now a new system or a new tool that changes it and it makes there be an even better or easier way and like being aware enough to like revisit those processes and being open to changing them if they need to or 100 percent yeah and and it's it's so hard to improve the processes right right because you spend so much time figuring it out and then you're like oh but it was working why do why do i have to spend more time but yeah you're right it's it's important to constantly keep looking at them and and making sure that they still fit what you're trying to get out of it Okay. So I have one more like kind of logistical question or like, um, I don't know, (laughs) like if I wanted to go buy a house today, like what? um, So I know you said usually, I think you said you usually put like 20 or did you say 20 or 25% down? Like it, if you're going to buy a property. If, yeah, if you're just going to buy, go out and buy a rent ready rental, usually lenders require 25% down. So that's kind of like what you need to keep in mind is like, if I wanted to start this tomorrow, well, I probably couldn't, but like, if I want I, what I need to do is save up 20% of however, you know, whatever makes sense in an area in the neighborhood that makes sense for like the formula. That's like probably near enough to where I am that I can do the first one myself kind of. And then you're getting a short-term loan for kind of like the rehab costs, or do you suggest having the rehab costs also saved up? No. So I think that the way we, what I was saying about 25% is that that's how we first got started. That's how most people do it. And I Mm -hmm. was saying that the way we do it now, you don't need that 25%. A lot of short-term lenders, there's so much money in the market right now. Um, A lot of short-term lenders will um, ask you to bring maybe um, 10% to the table. If there is enough cushion in the deal, they'll say like, Hey, can you bring, they want to see some skin in the game because they want to know that you're, um, they need you to care for the project to go well. Right. So they're going to ask you to bring some money to the table. It's usually 10%, sometimes 15%. Um, when the, when there's a lot of money in the market, lenders are willing to lend you even more. So there was a time when lenders were saying, just bring 10% of the purchase price and we will fund the rest of the purchase price and we will fund hundred percent of the construction. Oh, wow. 
So and, easier as you go. <laughs> so like at yeah. first you need to have more down. And then once you kind of have, have it going more, then you do the short-term loans and you can get maybe more. Yeah. Loans. And so there are short-term lenders that will work with new investors and the work that you put into it, the more experience you get, the more they'll be willing to lend you as, you know, in terms of percent of the project. So now we work with short-term lenders because we have so much experience now, they're willing to lend us hundred percent of the wow. purchase price and the construction. And oh, so wow. it becomes more and more amazing. The more expertise you gain in this industry. That is incredible, but okay. So frustratingly enough for me, I would still probably need <laughs> to have like that 20% down for the first project. Right. I tell everyone that if you can come up with about 25,000 to invest I think that's a really good number. You could do your first deal in that mm. much. Okay. Good to know. Cool. Okay. So now we all have something to aspire to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will say I, so just to give you a little background, like we, um, I own a rental property, but it's a little different because it's the, it's in the same house that we live in. So it's a two family mm -hmm. home. And that was like how we were able to buy a house when we were young and that. like first looking, like we wanted to buy something and that was the only way we knew that like we always, that's what I wanted to do. Anyways, I always wanted to be a landlord and like have rental property. I love um, that. that's awesome. So that's what we did, bought the two family. And so we have rental income, but it's, you know, offsetting the mortgage, but it's not like paying for more than the mortgage that is right amazing, now. amazing though. That's better than a lot of people even get started with. So that's incredible. House hacking. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I know, I mean, I think that was the smartest thing we ever did because the house is like, that real estate has gone up so much in our area and the last couple of years. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't even want to consider actually paying the rent that, <laughs> that people pay for <laughs> rent in this area. So yeah. the fact that, you know, we were able to get into a house, um, when we did was amazing, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's not the, and then I, we also have an Airbnb house in the Caribbean cause that's where my husband is from. So mm -hmm. he had a little piece of property there and we built a house over the years, um, which now we Airbnb it out. That's so awesome. it's a little bit of a positive cash flow finally. Um, <laughs> but right. it's not the same thing. There's no like mortgage. We kind of like built it with savings as we went, like it literally took years. Mm -hmm. Um, no, that's great though. Now you have yeah. that asset and it's yours forever. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I feel like we have like properties, but I also feel like, I don't know. I feel like I want to do more. <laughs> I want to like, like, I feel like ne ne neither of them came about kind of in the ways that you're describing of just being like, let me just like go buy a rental property, like an income property. And like, I want to do that. Um, <laughs> and I've, and I want to do like a rehab. I don't know. It sounds like such a, I don't know. It sounds fun, but also very like satisfying in a way to be able to just to create that for yourself. Um, I think if, if you're drawn to something like a project that, you know, I mean, you already have a realistic perspective on it. Um, you don't think it's like all rosy and everything, but you still are drawn to it. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's our higher potential kind of calling us and telling us that, hey, I want you to try this because I think that you're going to grow into the person that you want to be by trying this and learning from it and failing and, you know, all of the things that come with trying anything new, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that whenever you're drawn to an opportunity, this is how I look at business. Like whenever I'm drawn to something, there is a reason behind it and I'm supposed to learn something from it and I'm supposed to grow into a better person. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I think it does say something if you're drawn to it. And but I think with your, um, can I, can I make a specific yeah. uh, comment about your house hack project? Yeah. If absolutely. you've got equity in it, you should pull it out. <laughs> <laughs> I tell everyone, like, if you've got equity in a property, pull it out and redeploy the, that money into more assets. Yeah, we were looking. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I know so little about this stuff. We were looking into like refinancing it. Is that partly what that yeah, would yeah. Absolutely. Would be the first step either of that? Refinance okay. it, either refinance it or get a HELOC on it. We, I actually wrote... Um, 
I wrote a little ebook on this, how we grew from three to 20 properties using the power of home equity loans. Mm. And that was our first big uh, push. And that, that was like the big spurt of growth that our business had. So if you've got equity in an existing property, pull it out and, and redeploy that money and create more assets. I don't know why I think that for some reason, um, I could, I probably totally made this up, but I thought there was some kind of rule against using, like, if we weren't going to be buying like a, um, our primary residence, like that we couldn't use the equity from our current house or something that might be totally ridiculous. But I feel like I thought that once or heard that once. And like for a long time thought that it wasn't worth or like that it would, wouldn't work to be able to like use the equity from our current house to buy something else. But that's probably not true. Right. I think that the equity from your current house, when you pull it out, it can be either for renovations um, or I would talk to a lender and find out what they think about this concept that we just talked about. Okay. Yeah. Um, I definitely need to look into this. Yeah. I really think that there is always a lender that is made for whatever project you want to do. And so it's just a matter of finding them. Okay. And there was a time when I, <laughs> I took, I put aside, like, I think it was two weeks and I called 90 different banks and create like a giant, created a giant spreadsheet so I could understand how lending worked. And I think it's worth doing that research. Finance is something that it's worth spending time on because it could change your trajectory. Yeah, because that's exactly like that. I would say knowing how like the lending works and like loans, like that sounds so like... <laughs> daunting to me but, but I feel like between that and then also just kind of like knowing how taxes would change and like what to do to like make sure you're like to make sure these properties are actually helping on your taxes and you're not like losing out on all the benefits that you should be getting like I already feel like we're not doing that right with the fact that we have the yeah. rental as part of our property. Like, I just don't even know. But I feel like those two things are what sound so like scary sort of and what hold me back because I'm like, that sounds like that's going to be hard to figure out. And obviously I know I can do hard things. And like, I figured out everything on how to run a PR business and I didn't know any, any of that before. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Like, those I mean, are the two things that seem the scariest. I think that this is the thing that I've noticed and I work with, you know, high achieving women and that's majority of our program is made of high achieving women. And so I find it really interesting that as, as high achieving women, you've, like you said, you've grown a PR company. You obviously have the guts to do different things and learn. Right. But mm -hmm. somehow I feel like when we're established, and we're no longer newbies in something, it's so hard for us to come across as newbies because I think mm. as women, we had to work so hard to gain that respect. And it's hard to then like start from the beginning because people can be so condescending to women. And so I, I get it. And I, I was talking to uh, one of the women in our program and again, she, you know, she has a high profile job. And she said, you know, when I talk to lenders, the, the inflection in their voice makes me kind of give that, you know, the fond response there's where, where you just kind of shrink back and end the conversation because you're so in tune to how they're perceiving you. And I, I just think it's so interesting that even as high achieving women, uh, we tend to kind of shy away from certain things. It's, it's just, yeah. it's really interesting. Maybe the, you know, our daughter's generation won't have this. <laughs> Maybe the, maybe society will um, treat them with the same respect that men get. <laughs> and maybe I should look into all the things that I wish I knew about so I can pass them down to my children and they won't even have to worry about having those things hold them back, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, this has been really, really helpful. Tell me, is there one thing that like you wish you had known more about when you first started the business? Um, one thing that I point. wish I... <laughs> one thing. <laughs> uh, so many things, but I think the big thing, and I, I'm pretty sure, I don't know, maybe you agree with this. I feel like when we start the business, we are, I was so afraid of taking risks. And I think that 
one thing that if I were to like go back in time and tell myself something, it would be, you know, more than you think you do just, Mm. you know, really trust your judgment more than you do right now. And I always looked for validation from other people when I first got started. And then now that I look back, I'm like, I already knew the answers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think it would be just taking bigger risks faster. That would be my one thing that I would change if I were to go back. Yeah, that's amazing. And especially because it sounds like you've done a, a lot in a really short, what sounds like a really short amount of time to me. So <laughs> is is there any last word of advice, either like when it comes to running a business or specifically for people looking into like being in the real estate investment world, any last piece of advice you'd want to share with people? I would say that don't focus on timing the market. There's a lot of conversations right now going on around. It used to be like, oh my God, the market's so hot. Properties are so expensive. Then it used to be interest rates are so high. Should I buy now? Is the market going to crash? All of that. I would just one advice when it comes to investing is don't focus on trying to time the market. Focus on time in the market. Wealth is made by investing long-term. And it doesn't matter if the market goes up and down a little bit, as long as you're in it for the long-term. So better to get in now if you can and have it as long as possible than try to be like, oh, maybe in five years it will be better kind of thing. That's how I would look at it, yes. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Can you share where people can find, well, first of all, where they can find you personally if they wanna like connect with you, like personally and professionally, um, and also how they can find your resources and like open spaces women if they want to get involved or anything like that yeah so the best way to reach me is uh, following me on instagram at open spaces women and you can dm me um on on instagram as well um we post a lot of value-add content for real estate investors so open spaces women and then um for the program, you could go to openspaceswomen.com forward slash book a call. And, you know, someone from my team can get on a call with you and see if we're a good fit. And if not, they can always, you know, point you in the right direction because we're connected in the industry and there's always some other resource that we can lead you to if we're not the right fit. Awesome. Okay. I just, follow- I just realized I wasn't even following you on Instagram. And so now I am and you have, it oh, looks cool. like so much good content and resources on there. So I'm excited to go look at it more after this, but yeah, we'll put all those links in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. And I hope that a couple people listening to this are inspired to, to get started with, with real estate investing, because I think it's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Oh, thank you for having me. This was such a fun conversation. You're amazing. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast, wherever you listen. So you won't miss the next episode and leave a review on iTunes. So other people will be able to find us easily. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you've heard on the show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and contact links are always in the show notes or online at quotablemediaco.com slash podcast. If you want to join the community of other female millennial entrepreneurs, join our Facebook group by searching female millennial entrepreneurs on Facebook. Talk to you soon and see you there.